0: Financial Literacy and the Human Condition. Welcome to Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rahum.
1: Welcome to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler, along with the money doctor, Dr. Francis Ram Hi. Hey Jess, how are you? I am good. We're inching closer and closer towards the end of the year.
2: Well, um, yes, we I'm are.
1: Just trying to get through 2023, baby. 2024's gotta be better, I think.
2: Happy New Year, right? <laughs> We're not quite there yet, Um, and it could always be worse, too, but let's look for the positive. Uh, But, you know, at this time of year, we're all focused on, most of us anyway, are focused on the holidays, feeding people, gifting people, taking time off from work, doing Mm -hmm. things like that. And, you know, here I come telling you, guess what? (laughs) Money doesn't take a holiday, and um, there are things that you need to do or should be considering uh, for your own benefit, mm-hmm. you don't have to do these, but for your own benefit, before the end of the year, some I'll give you some things that you can do very simply. Uh, you can work into your busy day to get done before the end of the year to make sure that you don't harm yourself financially. And then we're going to talk about what you can do to make plans for next year. But instead of having to, you know, start from scratch every year with this new plan, and it seems like this awful task that you have to do, and mm-hmm. it maybe gets done. We're going to talk about how to make a plan that evolves and is flexible and dynamic and can move with you year after year, so you don't have to, you know, reinvent the wheel every year. Yeah, that would no be w- nice. Yeah. So let's talk first about the kinds of things that need your attention before the end of the year. Now, this is this is not my list of what to keep and what to throw out. We'll get to that. Okay. Uh, but not in this show. But what I really want you to do is decide about making sort of a, a customized, proactive plan for yourself, as we talked about. But before the end of the year, you know, I want you to sit down and sort of do a little gut check and say, you know, what were my goals in 2023? Mm -hmm. Did I make a plan last year? You know, did it work? What worked? What didn't? Uh, What were your accomplishments and what led to that? Like, gee, I really paid down some debt this year. How did I do that? Or, you know, this year I got my full company match out of my 401k or, You know what? I had all these plans for things that had to happen, but they weren't realistic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Happened or that happened. We had an emergency, and so we didn't hit our goals. And, you know, try and eliminate whatever failed horribly that was just a bad plan. Like, this year, we're going to save enough money to fill in the blank, and it turned out to be a lot of money wasted on something you didn't appreciate, right? Mm -hmm. Try not to do that again. But try to take the good stuff that you did. And replicate that, duplicate that, right? Do you so, find
1: that people though will do that in December versus January? I think I just think of December and this is a bad way to think, but you kinda of think to yourself, All right, all my bad spending is gonna be done by the end of the year and then in January I won't have to spend on anything again until, you know, spring or birthdays or whatever might be coming up. But that in my head is kinda of how I think. People think like, Okay, let me just get through December and then I'll start fresh.
2: So that would go on your list of things not to do again next Got it. year that <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>? <laughs> because it is what you do, right? That is what people do. Mm. I'm not suggesting that you must make your plan in December, but start thinking about it. Start getting that, you know, start getting those things rolling around in your head when you're doing something that might be maybe a little more mindless. Maybe you're, I don't know, wrapping a gift or something and you're, you're not thinking about what you're really doing. That's some downtime to let your mind, uh, you know, um. what do I want to say, uh, occupy itself, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that you can entertain itself, let's say, so that you can start to, when it's not so active, when it's actually sort of in the background, you can start to review your year and say, oh, yeah, and then in February, oh, I remember when that happened. Or remember in June we were doing really well and then heating season came and we couldn't do that? How are we going to fix that this year? You know, let's not have a bad heating season. Or, gee, you know, I was working for a company that gave me a lot of stock options and holy cow, I forgot that they were going to have value that was going to get added to my income and I didn't do anything about it before the end of the year and I got slapped with Mm. this major income tax. So, you know, think about things that worked and didn't work during the year and just get that conversation going in your mind. So, you know, one of the ways you could start is just to say, did I make a plan last year? And when I did, was it pretty easy to write down you know, what I wanted, or was it really difficult? And see what you can do to start at step one and make that easier for yourself. Mm -hmm. Gee, it was awful. I couldn't do it. I didn't like it. Okay, how am I going to make that more palatable? Because that is step one. I've got to get to a place where I can face making these decisions, right? Mm -hmm. And and try to improve things like that. And, And as I said, think about, you know, what led to your achievements, what didn't work, and one thing that I really, I don't know that people recommend this, but I highly recommend this. In your plan, and I don't care if it's the first thing you write down, I want you to take time to celebrate your accomplishments.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't care how small they are. Hey, I got a whole month's worth of budget data in the system. Great. Treat yourself to something. I don't, it doesn't have to be, you know, expensive. It doesn't have to be a monetary purchase. But do something nice for yourself and give yourself that positive reinforcement. I know this sounds trite, but believe me, you get enough negative reinforcement about money. Mm -hmm. So when you do something well, celebrate it. Make a nice dinner. Go for a walk. Do whatever it is that you want to do. And and just lock that into your memory. Hey, I did that. Mm -hmm. That thing that I didn't think I could do, I did. And that means I can do it again and again, and I can advance on that. So... I think that is as important as anything I'm going to tell you today about what to check and what not to check is how to start changing that conversation with yourself about money and how to start rewarding yourself for making good decisions, mm. even when you're making bad ones also. Yeah. The good, the good decisions are so important. So mindset is, is a big deal. And, you know, we talk a lot, Jess, about psychology of money and, you know, what leads us to making these decisions. And it, it's always the same stuff. It's what we believe in, you know, what our values are, how we we're brought up. And what our emotions tell us.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't have any money, but I'm going to do this for my kids and I don't care if it goes on my credit card. You know? So that's what you have to do the little gut check on. And understanding more of that about yourself will help you to make, well, more informed, better decisions about money. And and then you can start to sort of direct the money where to things that matter the most. Mm-hmm. So you can start to make choices about that. And I know as a parent, you know, you're faced with that all the time, right? <laughs> Especially right now, I think last week we talked about your daughter at age six, you know, putting things in your Amazon cart. And so I, tell me that. How does that work for you when you When you understand more about how you see money and what causes you to spend erratically and what causes you to spend wisely? Does that stick with you? What, how does it work for you?
1: As far as the stuff in the Amazon cart or? In general,
2: just in general.
1: I, I mean, I, I think I'm not great with money, so... I think that's just always in my head where I will, like we talked about on last week's show for Christmas, I would maybe pay something late in order to have like a really good Christmas. So I'm not um, super disciplined with it where like my sister is super disciplined with all of that stuff.
2: Okay. So when we're talking about things, I love that you'll let me do this, this session on the air like this, right? But when we're talking about things, um, like when you said, I'm not good with money. The first thing I would tell you as a coach is to add the word yet. Mm -hmm. Or to change it to, I wasn't good with money, but I'm getting better. Because the more you tell yourself, I'm just not good with money and my sister is great at it, the wider that gap is going to be. Don't compare yourself to your sister. Let her be great at it if she wants to be. Run your own best race. And so on your list, you might put, you know, I want to part of my plan is I want to improve how I manage money. I don't want to end up in debt. Maybe that's not important to you, that you ended up in debt at the end of Christmas, right? Maybe it's not important to a lot of people. But pick what is important to you and start to focus on that. Now, there are always, you know, habits that we can want to improve and continue and habits that we want to break or that we think we can change. That stuff's always going to be there. But the important part is what can you learn from that? For and sure, how, and
1: I, I think that we've talked about this before, too, that I think you you get some of this from parenting, like you, seeing kind of what your parents do, but also you kind of have that label. Like, I have always just thought I'm bad with money because I've always heard, oh, you're bad with money and your sister's good with money. Do you know what I mean? So wrong. It's so
2: wrong to tell you that. <laughs> oh, my God. I, you know, you're short and she's tall. So what? You're right. two different people, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, run your own best rates. I really, I really believe that. And, and for you, now we've been doing this show together for a, run, oh, a few years together, I think. And, I, and I'm still concerned for you that you beat yourself up about money. And I, I'm not picking on you. I'm saying this is true of most people, that we say to ourselves, we're not good at that, or we should have been better at it. And really, you've done remarkable things when you think about your life. For sure, for sure.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think that we're harder on ourselves than most other people would be. Like if I was looking at somebody else, I wouldn't think this certain thing. But we talk much meaner to ourselves than we would ever um, anybody else.
2: There's no doubt. I'm tarred with the same stick. Mm-hmm. I, I can always find the things that I did wrong. Yeah. And after, I've had to train myself, and I'm still working on it to stop myself from what I call unnecessary negativity, right? Mm-hmm. It's one thing to say, okay, you made a huge mistake and you need to not do that again. Right. It's another sort of grumble at yourself about what you're not, mm-hmm. and, you know, and so then I try to replace that with some positive stuff. You don't have to have an ego the size of Texas. You just, I just want you to not, not let that mindset get in the way of improving. hmm Yeah. So this time next year when we talk, maybe you will have a little different sentiment, I hope. but And I'm totally willing to help with that as I, as I always am. So let's talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts here of what has to get done before the end of the year. Okay. And I know that um, we'll talk in more detail about this when we come back and we'll talk about what to do for next year's plan. But nuts and bolts before the end of the year are things that are going to cause you to have uh, a higher income tax or not take enough advantage of your deductions or to uh, miss your contributions that you might have been able to make, uh, maybe spend some healthcare dollars, things like that. And so we can go through them, you know, individually so people have a, a definite idea of what to do. But these are going to be about tactical things that you can do to reduce or manage your tax burden and maybe to make your investment uh, choices before year-end, or maybe to know, hey, I don't have to do that before year-end. That doesn't happen until, you know, my tax filing date on April 15th or mm-hmm. with extent. So I definitely will go into detail on it, but I always like to start by just saying, you know, I know we're talking about money, but really we're just talking about like one little area of your life.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, if you wanted to diet, you'd hire a diet coach maybe, or you'd, you'd make a plan and you'd try to stick to it. If you wanted to write, you'd make a plan and you'd try to stick to it. Money is no different. It's just, it's just that we're told that it's difficult and scary and, and obscure, and it doesn't need to be. Mm-hmm.
0: Well,
1: let's get your phone number.
2: Sure. It's 413-773-3333.
1: I also want to mention a great uh, stocking stuffer would be the book.
2: Oh, thank you. Retire Debt and Retire Wealth.
1: And you can find that anywhere. Also, you can go to hugyourmoney.com. We're going to be back with some things you need to look at before the end of the year. Part two of Financial Fitness with The Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Ram, coming up right here on WHMP. When it comes to investing, we're taught the higher the risk, the better the reward. Francis Ram, The Money Doctor, says it isn't necessarily true. We need to remember that with risk comes the potential for losses, and making up losses can set us back or worse, delay our retirement. You've heard the testimonials for years about how her patented program helps people become 100% debt-free far ahead of schedule. But did you know that For more than 35 years, Dr. Ram has been helping people retire well without unnecessary risk. Dr. Ram says most people mistakenly accept that in order to earn attractive interest rates, they must tolerate risk and that choosing safety means settling for lackluster returns. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can earn competitive rates and minimize taxes without risking a single dollar of your hard-earned savings. Contact the money doctor at Hug Your Money for a free consultation. Call 413 773 3333 or visit hugyourmoney.com. Welcome back to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler, along with the money doctor, Dr. Francis Ram. Hi. Hi,
2: Jess. You're still speaking to
1: me? I am still speaking. I don't mind when you give me a little tough love. I need it sometimes for sure.
2: It's always hard for me to give people tough love because it feels like I'm uh, like I'm being opinionated and and that isn't welcome in most conversations, but it's what people pay me to do. I right? know. Yeah, I like it. Bring it on. Well, you don't deserve a lot of it. But <laughs> when you say something on the air that I think can help other people, you know, you, you're kind enough to let me use you as an example. So let's talk about the kinds of things that have to get done before the end of the year. Um, I'm going to start with uh, retirement planning. So I want you to maximize your contributions if you can afford to do it. I know financial planners just say, Look, put as much as you can into your 401k because you're going to need all that money to retire. Mm-hmm. Out here, you know, the loan read saying, look, you know, I don't want you to contribute to your 401k while you're racking up credit card debt at 25% because it doesn't make any sense. Right. And the only thing that you need all of that money at retirement is because we're all planning for you to have this debt at retirement. And I would prefer that we don't have the debt. So I'm not saying that you don't contribute to retirement and you pay off your debt instead. I'm saying it's a balancing act. So if you can afford, while you're paying down your debt well, or if you're out of debt, to maximize your retirement contribution, by all means do that. Now, I'm going to say just once, I'm not an accountant or an attorney, and I think you should check with your accountant on most of these things I'm going to tell you today because they're the ones that can answer this for you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I maximize my contributions, how much does that save me in tax dollars? That's the question to ask. You know, for every dollar I put in, it's worth, what, a dollar and 30 cents to me? How is that going to work? And so you ask your accountant. In, in terms of retirement planning, if you're in a 401k, you know, make sure that, that your contributions are doing what you want them to do. And if you have an employer match, check and make sure that that's in there. Everything looks good to you before the end of the year. Okay. Remember, you have until the end of the year to hit that contribution limit. So this year, in 2023, it's 22500 for people under age 50 and 30000 for people over age 50. So you still have time to adjust that contribution if you want to. If you and adjust for-
1: the contribution, though, can you switch it at any time during the year back up or down, depending as needed?
2: Sure. Okay. Absolutely. So you could, and for self-employed people, this could be more. You might have a simplified employee pension or 401, uh, a solo 401k or a plan like that. You may have hired um, contributions. But this is the time of year where you want to say, okay, I really need to call my accountant because I'm sitting, here's what people do. I'm sitting on all this cash in case I owe it in taxes, right? Self-employed people, I'm sitting on this cash in case I owe it in taxes. Oh yeah, I've heard that
1: uh, with a lot of people that are working in the service industry.
2: Well, absolutely. I mean... And But the thing to do is if you ask your accountant, hey, if I con- contribute this much, how much will I owe in taxes? So you can start paying yourself instead of the government, mm-hmm. at least for some of this money. It's really important. If you only do one thing before the end of the year, talk to an accountant. <laughs> good luck right now, right? But right, yeah. talk about that contribution. You know, how much do you think I'm going to owe in taxes? This is what my estimated income is. And how much would I owe if I contributed X? And let them tell you, hey, you know. Every time you contribute a dollar, it's going to be worth it to you. Mm-hmm. So if you're over age 72, now this is changing now depending on what ages people are born in, but basically if you're over age 72, you have to take these required minimum distributions to avoid the IRS penalty. So again, ask your accountant, ask your financial planner. We can all answer that. Look, here's the year on the chart. You need your RMDs. Most companies will send them automatically. And just understand where those deadlines are because they they may be different based on your age or the type of account you have. What if the IRA or the Roth IRA you have is inherited from somebody? That gets really complicated these days. Mm -hmm. But inherited IRAs have different guidelines than a regular IRA. And I just ran into this with a client who was told by a financial planner, she says, and again, a third party, that the inherited IRA she has doesn't have to be touched until she's 72.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: because of the year she inherited it, it's not quite true. Oh. So you've got to check with your, because the penalty is huge. I mean, huge, like up to 50%. Yeah. So you got to check with your accountant on that. If you're making IRA contributions before your tax deadline, you can make traditional or Roth contributions, but you may be able to do those before your tax filing deadline, which might be April 15th, roughly April 15th. Whatever year it falls in in
0: 2024,
2: mm-hmm. Roth IRAs the income phases out for single people and heads of household. If you make 138 thousand or 150 uh, to 153 thousand, you may not be able to contribute to your Roth IRA. It starts phasing out for married people filing jointly. It's 218 thousand to 228 thousand. If you're above those limits, you might still want to contribute to what we call a backdoor Roth IRA which we probably don't have a lot of time to go into, but let me just say you contribute to a traditional IRA with after-tax dollars and convert it. And so even if you're over those limits,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, you'll know you have to understand the tax implications and what rules there are, but you're still not out of the game.
1: Okay, so there's ways and, around
2: it. There's ways around it. And for small business people, just be aware of those deadlines and do the kinds of things we're talking about. If you have a SEP IRA, a simple IRA, uh, defined benefit plan, or maybe a solo 401k that I mentioned, you know, you may have had a deadline that went anywhere from the beginning of October uh, to your current tax filing next year. Mm-hmm. So understand those deadlines and save yourself from those penalties. I would say for tax planning, you know, talk to an accountant. If you want to review your tax withholdings. This is one thing you can do on your own if you can't talk to an accountant. Look at your tax withholdings and make sure you've got enough money that's been withheld for the year because you can still adjust it before the end of the year. Okay. And that, that's where if you had. Just if you had the, the bonuses and the stock options I was talking about, you know, you might not have accounted for those in your regular tax withholding. Then you get this influx of money at the end of the year, and bam, you've got yourself a tax problem. Mm-hmm. So check with your HR person about that. You don't even have to go to the accountant, check with the HR person and take a look at it and see if that might be, you know, might be something that you can benefit from while you're talking to the HR person. Ask about your FSA or your HSA fund, so those flexible spending accounts, or a health savings account.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You might have to do something about that before the end of the year. So if you have a flexible savings account, some plans will give you a little grace period so that they'll reimburse you, but a lot of them just you know go to the end of the year and that's it. So check with your plan administrator. Health savings accounts, though, uh, you should be able to roll those over into the new year. And actually, there's something that people don't seem to talk much about, I think, and it, it has to do with health savings accounts. I'm just thinking of, that you can make these contributions until your tax filing deadline. So, in other words, if you're not filing your taxes, if your deadline isn't until April 15th, mm-hmm. you could still contribute to your health savings account. And that those limits are $3,850 for individuals and 7750 for families this year. And I think it can add an extra thousand if you're over 55.
1: And that's as far as, that's as much as you can, tri- can contribute? Uh,
2: yes. Okay. For the health- to the health savings uh, mm-hmm. account. So, you know, who has a good article about this is facet.com has a good article with most of these same things in it, but I'm telling you,
0: okay. it's
2: well-designed. You can go there and read about that. You know, stock stuff, the stock options we talked about a little bit, you just need to know what they're worth um, and are they going to come into your income and will it trigger that alternative minim- minimum tax? Mm-hmm. Okay, we're getting short on time, but education savings accounts. If you're going to do a 529, remember that that money can be used for pre-K through college, uh, including student loans, but it might have some limitations on it depending on how you use the money. Okay. Another thing that before 1231. Uh, and charitable donations. Now, you know, everybody thinks about that one. Hey, it's almost the end of the year. How am I going to donate? But you need to remember, at least, that you can't deduct your donations anymore if you don't itemize this year. So if you do itemize, you should consider giving away any taxable investments that have unrealized capital gains rather than cash, right? That's how you decide where to start gifting people. Of course, it's never quite cookie cutter like this. But as a rule, give away, if you're going to gift some money, taxable investments with unrealized capital gains. It's a way for you to avoid the capital gains and still get a deduction for it. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about what to do for next year. If you're looking to make your plan for next year, remember I said I wanted to help you make a plan that could be dynamic and could be flexible and you can change it through the year. So first of all, cut yourself a lot of slack. Do not expect to sit down at the table and make the perfect plan. Unless you can live the perfect life, which I haven't (laughs) had any of us doing, you know, expect that there will be some hiccups and put it in the plan. You know, one of the main things to think about is, did I have any emergencies this year? Mm-hmm. What came up that derailed my plan? And did I build a savings account for those? Was I prepared for them? And if the answer is no, maybe, could have been better, put it in your plan. Okay, step number one, the, the most danger I have to this plan is that I do everything well and something outside of my control happens
0: mm-hmm.
2: and I'm not prepared for it. So, so think about that. Maybe think about in terms of your life rather than dollars. What sort of uh, life markers, milestones am I going to hit? Am I going to have a baby? Am I going to buy a house? Am I going to change my job? Uh, You know, any of those things and start thinking about, I need to prepare for that in some way. How am I going to do that? Think about the way you invested. Are you happy with what your investments did? Did the risk feel like too much to you? Did it feel like not enough? Uh, Did it outpace inflation? Are you happy with the interest rates? What happened to you in taxes? Did you lose all your money in taxes? Mm-hmm. That's a time to start you don't have to you don't have to uh, redo the entire plan, but you might want to start thinking about, hey maybe I should diversify my accounts in a certain way so I can take advantage of some tax breaks because everything I'm doing is taxable or everything I'm doing is tax deferred and I feel like I'm building a tax time bomber. But you know you can make a lot of money, believe it or not. In managing your taxes, mm-hmm. even if you don't your accounts, you know, you lose a lot of money in taxes, and there are smart ways to, to manage that. And, you know, make sure that you're prepared for this coming year if you can. You know what I'm going to tell you. It has to do with making a plan not only about your taxes, but about your debt management, which almost no article you read is going to tell you to do, mm-hmm. uh, about making some kind of a, budgment, a budget excuse me about your investments, and planning those life marker things I was talking about. How are we going to reach those goals? Now, in order to make that flexible and not have to do this again every year, Mm -hmm. make a big-picture plan. Don't try to get so granular that you can't can't hit those goals and take you three weeks to make this plan. Big-picture plan, and change it up as it goes. Put in the plan, I'm going to check on this once a month. I'm going to check on this once a quarter, and I'm going to revise my plan As I go, and at the end of the year, I'm going to make a little time to review my year and see what needs to be tweaked. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're working with a financial planner, some help you do this, some don't. Uh, Most, this is kind of outside the wheelhouse. It it is the kind of thing that we do here not just make this plan, but give you a, a platform where it can live. And so you can see the progress yearly and you can meet with us and say, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm falling behind my goal here, or what do you think about changing that up? And it's all there dynamically living right in front of you, a living, breathing financial plan with debt, budget, retirement, uh, and tax situations right there so that you can more easily change it and not have to just look back a year ago and go, oh, hey, honey, look, here's my list that we did a year ago. <laughs> what did we get done on that? Hmm. You know, who wants to do that every year and make another list? Exactly. So, Mostly, you know, same thing I always tell you, Jeff, money is just about a means to an end. I don't want it to be an obstacle in people's lives. I want it to be a power. I want it to empower them so that they can, you know, escape that feeling of, I don't want to look at that. I'm bad at that. Mm -hmm. I hope it's useful to people. Uh, I know it comes at a hard time of year to hear this. They'll go back maybe and listen to the podcast again or, you know, buy the book or whatever. But it's um, just call us if you want help with this. I mean, that's, yeah. I never like those an but if you want one thing, one takeaway, you know, we'll help.
1: For sure. And I think it is super helpful. And if maybe you do it this year, then next year, you're not going to be in this same situation. So I mean, you always want to review, but like you were saying, if it's an ongoing thing, it's not a, every year you've got to clean it up and start again.
2: Well, your one thing might be this year, I'm going to hire a coach.
1: All right, let's get your phone number.
2: It's 413 773 3333.
1: Or as always, you can go to hugyourmoney.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Ram, right here on WHMP. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Jeff.
3: heard about get the tea it's an online herbal supplement company with high quality standards you cannot find these in stores they carry cleansing teas and targeted herbal supplements for all your health needs go to get the today to order yours health shouldn't be put off it should be a priority and check out their specials page for sale items that's get the enter code tea123 for 10% off exclusively for my listeners get the code tea123 order today this is Francis Rayum, The Money Doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, and retire well. All under the Hug Your Money umbrella.
0: I have a, an old friend in Cincinnati. He's a revered financial planner. He
1: teaches college classes and runs a successful practice. And he investigated your program.
3: And he said, this is a winner. He said, people should be doing this.
2: I think it was easier for you because you're you're such a good saver and you really think about things that you're buying. For me, it was a total transformation. <laughs> I'm Wendy.
0: And I'm David. And we just completed the program.
1: And
2: we're completely out of debt. It was so exciting. Remember, I called you at work. I said, we're done. Yeah, we're done. We're like, we should go out and celebrate and have dinner. There must be something you do when you, <laughs> you know, you're done.
3: <laughs> debt, budget, retirement. Hug works best when we work together. Visit hugyourmoney.com. Hug your money. So unique, it's patented.
0: Financial literacy and the human condition. Welcome to Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Raym.
1: Welcome to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler along with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Raym. Hello. Well, hello. How are you? I am doing good. What is our topic today? Well, how's your holiday season going? I've I've done no shopping so far, and I've started nothing. Well, good for you. Everybody
2: I've <laughs> spent time in doctors' offices lately.
1: Oh, so, that is true. I had that cough that I couldn't get rid of for a couple
2: of weeks. So yeah, exactly. It, including myself, I'm fine, of course, but I'm fighting a rotator cuff problem, yes. uh, trying to avoid surgery, et cetera. And you know, it means going to doctors and having consultations and weeding through things. And I so I've been spending some time, you know, standing in lines waiting and. I was at a Mass General Brigham and Women's affiliate, Cooley Dickinson, mm-hmm. and they had a poster up on the wall. <laughs> this is, I'm such a financial nerd. It's pathetic. I'm there to see a doctor, and I'm standing in line, and I noticed this poster on the wall that says, Your Rights and Protections Against the Pride Medical bills." And automatically piqued your interest. Well, I, I mean, sadly, I took a picture of it so that I could <laughs> read it later. I wouldn't hold the line up. But I have to give Math General credit on this one, Cooley Dick credit on this one. They took what is a very complicated, um, or can be a complicated situation, and they broke it down into pretty, pretty um, concise language. I, I'm not going to read it verbatim off this poster, but I want to give them credit for putting together something that was understandable, because if you start to research this on the Internet, uh, you will find so much information. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I, I want to say is that you know, we're recording this show in Massachusetts and the laws vary from state to state, but I will give you a federal uh, website and phone numbers so you can check on your state in particular because we're going to talk today about balanced billing and surprise medical bills. So balanced billing is you know, if you go to the doctor and let's say you have an HMO or a PPO, mm-hmm. they might say, Okay, health maintenance organization or preferred provider organization for you know, the layman who isn't into this yet. But they might say, Okay, you have a copay of such and such. Right. Or you have a deductible of such and such, or you have a co insurance amount of such and such. Those are all the things people are kind of used to doing. Right? If you've ever done it once, when you get to the counter the next time you'll say, Do I have a copay? Yeah, <laughs> right? and that's
1: usually what you're paying up front. Before the final bill comes in.
2: That's right. And what did pique my interest about this is I got another call. I've had two in a week. Another call from somebody saying, I got a medical bill and it was almost a year old or the other person. It was more than a year old. Do I owe this?
1: Oh, was it was that the original bill that they sent more than a year later or had they gotten other notices before that?
2: Original bill. Wow. I've had it happen. Surely, I have. So, you know, by the time you get this bill, you don't even know what you're being billed for. Mm -hmm. So the things, I'm going to give you a lot of things about your own protection for this. But the first thing you want to go to is your EOB, which is your explanation of benefits. Mm -hmm. And that is supposed to delineate why you're charged, how much your health care insurance paid, what you've paid, if anything, and what other amount might be left over. Now, the question is, are you responsible for that leftover amount. And what happens if they bill you a year later? Hence the word surprise billing and balance billing. Okay.
1: Right. You would think there would be a time limit on that.
2: Well, yes, you would think so. So, so the insurance companies say there's a time limit. Mm-hmm. If you know, if they don't bill you, if they don't bill the healthcare provider within six months to a year in most states, the insurance companies just won't pay it unless you you know go to bat and argue it and and are are successful in winning it, but they just won't pay it. Mm-hmm. And so then the question is, are you responsible for it? Your health You had health care, they didn't pay it, and now are you responsible? Now, not being a lawyer, I've done some legal research on this in my armchair legal capacity, and for the most part, what I've read is, yeah, you're still responsible. If the service was legit, if you weren't overbilled, if it's not surprise billing, et cetera, et cetera, if you would have been responsible... In two months, you're probably still responsible after a year. However, I will tell you that in my personal experience, whenever we've had this happen, including these last two phone calls, Mm -hmm. we just call up and say, look, you know, this was a year ago. I mean, come on, you can't expect these people to pay this now. And they just wiped out the bill. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So you might be responsible, but you might also be able to get out of it. And we're going to talk today a little bit about that sort of thing. What can you do to negotiate a better payment, uh, negotiate it away, not have to owe it. Is it legal? Is it not legal? Uh, again, a caution, word of caution, talk to an attorney about this. I'm bringing general information for educational purposes to the airways. And so poster that I'm talking about uh, was very clear about, you know, whether you're getting your service out of network or within your network, so if you, are, if you have health insurance and you are part of, let's say, a PPO or an HMO, as I talked about briefly earlier, then there are certain providers you're supposed to see, right, if you can. Mm-hmm. There, if you want your insurance to cover you, let's say, you should stay in network if it's possible. Right,
1: or it pays at a higher benefit if you go to that preferred provider versus owing a little bit more if you go to somebody out of
2: network. That's exactly right. But there are times that you're not in control of that. Mm -hmm. Let's suppose you have an emergency. You get rushed to the emergency room. Maybe you're not even conscious. Maybe there's an ambulance involved. You get to the emergency room. Whoever's on staff doesn't happen to be part of your in-network provider. Mm -hmm. They have to call in a specialist, and they're out of your network. Right. Are you liable for that? Do you owe it? I'm going to guess the
1: answer is yes.
2: No. Oh. Well, it's not that you're not liable for it, but they can't bill you, at least in the state of Massachusetts and most states, they can't bill you for more than you would have paid in-network. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. And for emergency services, mm-hmm. uh, the most they can bill you is the in-network costs that we're talking about, such as your copayments, coinsurance, or deductibles. They can't balance bill you for emergency services. In other words... You know, if, if uh, they bill your insurance for $700 and it pays 500 mm-hmm. they can't bill you for those other $200 under emergency services. This is one of the places you're protected from balanced billing in the state of Massachusetts, Commonwealth of Massachusetts.
1: Now, how likely is it that they will try to balance bill you? Does that happen often or do you know some information on that?
2: You know, I really don't know the answer to that. I, I would say from personal experience, I get people who get these bills that show up late most often from collection agencies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somehow things get peddled off to collection agencies or collection agencies by them, and then try to collect from people, very often seniors, and whatever they get, you know, they get a portion of them, the hospital gets the rest or whatever. So I'm not a conspiracist about this. I don't think that the hospitals are going, great, balance bill, everything you can, you know. But I, I also think that people in charge of billing, they aren't in the emergency room when you get these services. They're They're doing their best to keep all these insurance company regulations and billing and contact information uh, organized. And my hat's off to them. I'll tell you, medical billing, oh, my goodness, everything's got a code. Nothing Mm -hmm. goes by name. If you punch in the wrong code, it doesn't get paid. It's it's um, you know a labyrinth of information.
1: In my previous life before radio, I was uh, I was did medical billing for Phoenix no. Insurance. I did I I did I had all the diagnostic codes and the <laughs> office exams and all of that. So I I'm actually up on this. You never told me that. Oh, well, yeah. that's fascinating. Four hundred one point nine hypertension. I know these codes. <laughs> <laughs> well, was it again? Four hundred one point nine. That's your diagnostic code for <laughs> hypertension.
2: So what? So tell us a bit about your side of that. What was that like doing medical billing? And did you have any idea if you were, you know, balance billing someone who shouldn't be?
1: No, you, you really didn't with that. I mean, it, it, like you said, it all had to do with the codes. Like if you happen to put in the wrong code, say, for example, a doctor sent in a bill for an extended exam, like maybe it was a physical or like a long, you know, a longer visit. If you mm-hmm. happen to put in the wrong code, they might just get paid for a regular office visit and then the balance bill would go to the patient. So it is something you have to stay on top of because not only can they just try to bill you the balance bill because hey, if they get the money grade and if they don't, they know they're going to write it off, but you know, you got to keep track of if there might be a mistake made on on some end.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so you were on the insurance side?
1: I was on the insurance side. So what would happen is doctor's offices would send in um, the bills for office visits, surgeries, whatever it might be. And I'd have to, like, look through the bill and review, see, was this really a comprehensive exam? What what exactly did they do? Or was it just like a quick blood pressure, you know, temperature, 15-minute visit, make sure that they're billing for the appropriate office visit for the appropriate length of time? Um, for surgery, you'd have to kind of read the reports to see if it looked like there might be complications, then that bill might be higher, and then that would have to be justified by a doctor on staff. So it's it's a really complicated thing.
2: I am sure yeah. <laughs> that people, people out there must be interested in this question that I'm about to ask, I hope, uh, because I think we have a sense that insurance companies are the evil monsters. Their job is not to pay these bills. Now, while that might be true from an actuarial standpoint or something, you know, we want to keep our books as clean as we can and and mitigate risk, at the level you were at with billing, did anyone ever hint to you or train you in some way to evade paying money out?
1: No, I would say that no one ever did that to me, but we did have a whole fraud unit because they were very Mm. up on making sure that either from the doctor's office, you weren't getting billed excessively or on the patient side. And there was actually an entire department dedicated just to that. um, And it was really, you know, millions and millions of dollars a year of either excessive charges or, you know, some problem with the billing.
2: Sure. Yeah. I, I, I think that's good to hear, and I think for anybody who's received medical bills and they're not sure if they owe them or if they thought the insurance paid them or the insurance won't pay them, the number one thing I would tell you is to find out if it was coded correctly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And send it back. Call your doctor's office and say, my insurance isn't paying this, and I would think that they would. Are you sure it's coded correctly or it, can it be coded in a way that uh, is covered under my plan because, you know, medical expenses are so high.
1: That's just such a great piece of information to give people because that's exactly right. Like if you call and say, was this coded wrong? You're right. There might be a more extensive code that they could put in that would cover a little bit more of it if that's what was actually done.
2: Well, let's face it. I mean, we've reduced complicated things. In your example, hypertension. Now, why don't we just write hypertension? Mm -hmm. No. Instead, we translate it into a code and it's easy to make a keystroke. If you misspelled hyper, hypertension, if you send in hyperfension, somebody would figure it out. Hey, this must be hypertension. Right. But send in 401.9 rather than 401.8. It's a different item.
1: Oh, absolutely. And the office visits, would be, they'd be like a nine code, like nine oh two zero was just a regular visit. But a 90050, you could get paid almost twice as much because that was the extensive <laughs> visit. So you're right. Like if you just mentioned coding
2: that could fix the problem. I feel like I'm watching some sort of 1970s cop show on TV. We got a 9050. (laughs) It's hysterical in a bad sort of way. I mean, you know, if you have one or two little medical bills or a a small, you know, a health problem that might be of concern to you, but you're not buried in these bills, it's not so bad to sort out. But when you start talking to somebody like a cancer patient, or some like my sister who had bilateral lung transplant. Mm-hmm. You can't even figure out the billing. Everybody and their brother is on these bills. You didn't see half of them. Sometimes you're unconscious. Sometimes you're in an ambulance. You're lifelighted. The bills are astronomical, and they just keep coming in in these little dribs and drabbles. I
1: was going <laughs> to say, as soon as you thought you got the last one, I'm sure another one came in. This is yeah. definitely a topic that people are going to need help on, and I want to talk more about this. But first, I want to get your phone number in case somebody does have... These medical bills piling up and has questions.
2: Absolutely. It's 413 773 3333.
1: You can also visit hugyourmoney.com. We have much more with the money doctor, Dr. Francis Ram, coming up with part two of financial fitness on WHMP. When it comes to investing, we're taught the higher the risk, the better the reward. Francis Ram, the money doctor, says it isn't necessarily true. We need to remember that with risk comes the potential for losses, and making up losses can set us back. Or worse, delay our retirement. You've heard the testimonials for years about how her patented program helps people become 100% debt-free far ahead of schedule. But did you know that for more than 35 years, Dr. Ram has been helping people retire well without unnecessary risk? Dr. Ram says most people mistakenly accept that in order to earn attractive interest rates, they must tolerate risk and that choosing safety means settling for lackluster returns. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can earn competitive rates and minimize taxes without risking a single dollar of your hard-earned savings. Contact the money doctor at Hug Your Money for a free consultation. Call 413-773-3333 or visit HugYourMoney.com. Welcome back to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler along with the money doctor, Dr. Francis Ram. Am I impressing you with my knowledge today?
2: I tell you, you're, you are you a bag full of tricks. There. Nobody knows what you've done, where you've done it. You've been you know, experienced in a lot of areas, mostly radio, but, you know, just when you think you're starting to know somebody. (laughs) Hey, I did medical billing, yeah. So I want to go back to these things that that you can't be billed for again. Okay. uh, Just so that people are clear about this. So in the emergency services area where we are talking about you can't be billed for the balance of the emergency services, Mm -hmm. that includes even after you're stable, in stable condition, unless you've given written consent, giving up your protection, not to be billed for those balance bills. Okay. Okay? So for
1: example, say you go to the emergency room and then there's like a bunch of lab bills and stuff that you got done when you're there. Is that a different category?
2: Yeah, actually. Well, no, it's not really a different category. It's all under this emergency room thing, but certain services that are in a Net, in your in-network hospital mm-hmm. or ambulatory surgical center might also be things that you don't owe like that. So, for instance, what you just asked about. The labs, well, Yeah, emergency medicine, anesthesia, pathology, radiology, laboratory neonatology, assistant surgeon, hospitalist, or in- intensivist.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't know if you know intensivist, but an intensivist is a person who is actually the primary care decider, for somebody who has critical care okay. uh, or care needs rather than as a consultant. Like I, I have recommended over the years, get a patient advocate involved And a lot of hospitals now have just cut that job out because of budgetary problems. But um, Which but is really in,
1: sad because this stuff gets really, really complicated. I know when my mom yeah. got sick, if we hadn't had my sister, who's a nurse, we wouldn't have been able to figure any of it out.
2: Absolutely. And so an intensivist, It would be, you'd think that would be some specialized thing that they wouldn't pay for. But in this case, yes, they can't balance bill you for that. Oh,
1: interesting. And that bill is probably expensive.
2: Yeah, I'm sure it is. So, you know, if you get these types of services in network, the out-of-network providers can't bill you unless you've given up that written consent. You've given up that uh, protection in written form. Okay, so
1: so say they are billing you. Is your fight then with the provider or with the hospital?
2: but uh, well i would go first to the hospital but i I'd, I'd go to your insurance company right away and say i'm getting these bills uh i was in network and let them fight it out and in, in fact that's what they they do there was a oh there was a law passed in 2022 i think it was april maybe of 2022 mm-hmm. maybe it was april 2023 2023 i think it was that covered some things like that like what medical bills would show up on your credit reports and which would not Mm -hmm. and when they disappear and all of that. But also, I think, under that same law, um, they said if you're balanced billed or if you don't think you owe something, go to the insurance company. The insurance company will argue it with the provider and keep you out of the middle of it until there's a resolution so that really ill people are not, well, so that anybody is not bothered by this at a time when they're supposed to be focusing on recovering.
1: Yeah, I'd much rather have my insurance company fight it out than have to deal with, you know, each bill individually.
2: Yeah, yeah. In some states, this balance billing is illegal. Uh, California comes to mind. Our, our neighbor, Connecticut, mm-hmm. I believe, is still illegal. Uh, Florida, Oregon, there's a bunch of them. Now, many of the states have some sort of blend of protections, like Massachusetts has, where it's not illegal, but it's very limited what they can do. Mm-hmm. So, you're only responsible for paying your share of that bill, like co insurance deductibles, that you would have paid if the provider was an in-network provider, and, and this, this is
1: in an emergency room situation we're talking about.
2: That's right, and and those others in-network hospital or ambulatory surgical center things that I listed there, like like the like the uh, intensivist and mm-hmm. the lab laboratory work, et cetera. You know, the first thing you should be doing if you're getting these bills is to be paying attention to, hey, do I actually owe this or not? So let me just run this down. Your health plans in general must pay these kinds of things. They must cover emergency services without requiring you to get prior authorization. Mm,
1: That's always a funny one when you hear that. Like, I didn't know I was going to have the emergency, so kind of hard to do a prior authorization.
2: Yeah, well, it used to be the case, but now, no, they they must cover you for that. They must cover emergency services by out-of-network providers. So if you go to the emergency room, as I said before, and somebody needs to care for you, and they're not in your network. the insurance has to cover it in general. I'm sure there's some exclusion somewhere I don't know about, but yeah, so they have to base what you owe the provider on that in service schedule that I'm talking about, and they have to show you that amount on your explanation of benefits so one of the keys to all of this is that e o b explanation mm. of benefits. if you just get a bill and it says you know pay up or else right you you want to get okay, what were these services? When were they done? How much has my insurance company paid? And if you're not getting that, absolutely start by requesting that. Okay. And they have to count any amount that you pay for these emergency services or out-of-network services towards your in-network deductible or out-of-pocket and out-of-pocket limit.
1: Okay. That's good because <laughs> so, that's always that's always more for your out-of-pocket if you do an in-network.
2: So that's good. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some benefit to doing it, but so that's that's the the balance billing I'm talking about it's the surprise billing you know you're you're unconscious in an, in a helicopter, and a year later you get a bill that you had no idea was happening because you know you paid your copay and coinsurance and deductible, and now you've got a forty thousand dollar life flight bill or whatever. You don't owe it mm-hmm. so, but somebody owes it, maybe, but you're under your health insurance, it's likely that you do not owe that. Uh, in the state of Massachusetts um, with regard to balance billing and surprise medical bills. But it, again, I can't caution this enough. I, I often say I'm not an attorney, but I'm not only not an attorney, I'm a bit out of my depth here because I'm not a health care specialist. Right. So, you know, I'm bringing this to light because people complain to me, geez, I've got these bills, I don't know what to do about them, are they going to bother my credit? I, I've set up a payment plan to pay all these bills, they keep coming in. Uh, the biggest thing I get is people will say, I've set up payment plans. Every time I get a bill, I set up another payment plan. But when I hear from them, it's because they've gotten so many payment plans. Even though the payments are low, they're struggling to make them, and the bills are still coming in. You know, my previous uh, producer and mm-hmm. and our friend uh, Chris Collins, you know, was quite open about this on the air, that he had major medical problems, and the bills kept coming and coming and coming. Mm-hmm. And the stress that was involved in trying to manage those was so high and, you know, we became involved together about this and, and just figured out what did you owe, what did he not owe, and made small payment arrangements on the things that you actually owed. But a lot of that stuff is just about what we were talking about earlier. It's either not coded correctly, it's billed inadvertently, somebody didn't realize that you were on an uh, an HMO rather than a PPO or, or, the you know, the opposite, whatever. And so these bills get sent out to you.
1: Um, question for you. So if you get, you know, you have a bunch of medical bills, you had some kind of issue and you've got a bunch of them coming in and you're getting overwhelmed and you're thinking, I'm just going to take all of these and put them on a credit card. Would you always recommend against that? Because then you're going to be paying interest.
2: I recommend using a credit card to pay your medical bills. Yes. I absolutely hate paying medical bills with a credit card. Mm -hmm. For one thing, medical bills are treated differently on your credit reports than your credit card is. It's not that they don't show up. Mostly, they'll be from collection agencies when they show up. But when they're paid off, either by you or your insurance company, thanks to that law that was passed, I think, in April of 23, if I'm correct about that, you know, they come off. Now, that's not the case with your credit card. Even if you settled your debt, like some of these companies want you to do, that thing's going to stay on your credit report for seven years. So please don't put your medical bills on your credit cards. I know they make it easy for you sometimes, like, we can just take a credit card. Instead, I would recommend taking four steps. So the first is follow up with your insurance company. You know, make sure that they're actually paying the bills that they've agreed to cover, that they're coded correctly. That's your first point of check is your insurance company. Mm-hmm. Checkpoint: are they paying it? Will they argue it for you? Because believe me, the insurance company will go to bat on this. As, as you well know, that's what you were doing was vetting these bills so that the insurance company could figure out whether they were supposed to pay them or not. Exactly, yeah. So then you can negotiate any unmanageable bills. So let's suppose you get through this part and now okay, I still owe this stuff, but I can't pay it. Mm -hmm. Just call the hospital, call the medical provider, whoever is billing you, and try and negotiate it. They, in my experience, have been more than happy to set up a payment plan, even if it's just a tiny little amount, $5 a week, whatever you can afford. Ignoring it is the worst thing you can do. So you can keep setting up these um, payment programs every time a bill comes in. Mm -hmm. So if you're getting a stream of bills, don't wait for the whole thing to be there. Because it could take you, what, a year, right? Right. Don't wait for the whole thing to be there. Be honest with your providers. After you've called the insurance company, if you're sure you still owe it, then try to negotiate those bills. Now, one thing you can do is there are people called billing advocates. So you could try to find a billing advocate to mm-hmm. work on your behalf. And so that way they re- they act as a buffer between, like you said, who do I call? Maybe you just call a billing advocate and you say, look, I'm swamped here. I need more help than just calling and making a medical payment arrangement. And so they help sort through it, negotiate, figure out what the insurance is going to pay, all of that.
1: When you say and negotiate, do you mean that they can actually maybe get the provider to take some of that money off? Or do you just mean set absolutely. up a payment plan?
2: I mean, I don't know about you, but personally, I've experienced places that will say, "When in the old days, now maybe it's not saying now, but in the old days when you didn't have to have health insurance. As a self-employed person, I decided I was young and I could handle the risk, and so I didn't have health insurance. Probably if I was very wealthy when I was young, I would have had it anyway. But anyway, I just didn't have insurance like many Americans didn't. Mm-hmm. And if I went to the doctor and I said, I don't they'd say do you have insurance and I'd say no this is self pay they would give me a different bill. Now mm-hmm. I'm sure that's probably not legit especially now but it happened. I think they're not unsympathetic and when somebody is racking up these monstrous bills, if the insurance company isn't paying it and you actually owe it, yes, they will often say uh, I remember one hospital uh I forget if it was Dartmouth Hitchcock or somebody we dealt with with my sister but uh who said, "Oh, if if it's private pay whatever's left over, if you just Sign this form. You'll pay fifty percent. Oh, that's and great. Cut it in half and set up a payment program. So, yeah. and then last but not least, I would say if all of this is not working for you and you finally just find yourself completely overwhelmed, you've done everything we've talked about here, and you're still set with a lot of bills you cannot pay, consider crowdfunding. I, I mean, I hate to say it, but that's what like you mean a, like a, a GoFundMe? GoFundMe, right? Like a GoFundMe page. Crowdfunding sites. There's one called uh Give Forward. That's another one like uh, GoFundMe where you know you pay it and and your friends and family who would like to help you do it, they get together and they do it. I recently had a a client who's unfortunately now has passed away and he had terminal cancer. He was fairly young, you know, early fifties. And he was very worried. He'd never been sick, he didn't have a lot of life insurance. You know, he's very worried about his family, and the medical bills are pouring in, mm-hmm. and he's having treatments, and then he's worried about everything. And a friend of theirs set up a GoFundMe page, and when I last checked, uh, $50,000 had come in. Oh, so wow. Yeah, it, you know, $25 here, $100 there, it adds up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, consider all of those things. But above all, when you get these medical bills, please don't feel like, oh, I got a bill. They cared for me. I have to pay it. Yes, they're going to get paid. The insurance companies will pay them. Um, even the out-of-pocket people that I'm talking about who can't bill you more than the in-service fees, Mm -hmm. whatever they overbill, the insurance companies pay. So it's not like you're not paying people or caring for you. But you need to watch out for yourself in this case, too, and that is what you pay insurance for. So let the insurance companies argue it. If it all fails, you know, breaks down there and you still owe it, try and negotiate it, consider a billing advocate, and above all, if you have to do it, consider some crowdfunding.
1: All right, some great advice. Let me get your phone number.
2: Sure. It's 413-773-3333.
1: And the new revamped book is available everywhere with a new
2: title. Uh, retire yet and retire well.
1: And you can also visit HugYourMoney.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of Financial Fitness with Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Ram. Next week on WHMP. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you. Have you heard about Get The Tea? It's an online herbal supplement company with high quality standards. You cannot find these in stores. They carry cleansing teas and targeted herbal supplements for all your health needs. Go to GetTheTea.com today to order yours. Health shouldn't be put off. It should be a priority. And check out their specials page for sale items. That's GetTheTea.com. Enter code TEA123 for 10% off exclusively for my listeners. GetTheTea.com. Code TEA123. Order today. This is Francis Rayum, the Money Doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, and retire well—all under the Hug Your Money umbrella. Today but I, wa- I want to say something. Oh, okay, I want to say, okay. Go for I was, it. I, I was own. terrified that once we retired, we would never be able to take a vacation, and that was really important to me. With the budget that we prepared together with Francis. We still would be able to have some money for vacation. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. We just—it's been extremely important for helping to make us feel secure about what our future is. Hi, I'm Robin. Um, we're certainly glad we took the advice of a friend, um, Cheryl. So, Edinburgh <laughs> Fringe Festival, here we come. We ha- we can probably make it possible. Yeah, <laughs> <we> absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and uh, hug your money. Hug works best when we work together. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Hug your money. So unique, it's patented.